as long as you're trying, then that's all that matters. And yeah, there has to be that balance of, I don't want to hurt myself even more, but there's always room to kind of push that envelope and your body will tell you um, if you pushed it too far. What's up, life changers, healers, deep feelers, and hope dealers? The Life Alive podcast is the voice for people to share their healing stories and a resource for you to tap into your higher love and human potential. This is your host, Doc Schrock. Let's heal, grow, and flow. Hey, Life Alive Tribe. I have Andrea Richardson on the line today, and she's going to share with us her experience with chronic illness and also a near-death experience. So listen in. She talks a, a lot about vulnerability today, responsibility, and the psychological factors that go along with battling a chronic disease. I hope you listen up and listen in deeply. There are some gems in this episode. I am so pumped today for this interview. I have audiologist Andrea Richardson on the line today. How are you today, Andrea? I'm good. Awesome. And where do you hail from, Andrea? (laughs) Um, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Awesome. So across the border there, neither neither of us can get through at this point. <laughs> right. So, yeah. But it's great to have you on the line. And um, just to let the audience know, uh, Andrea is going to be telling us her story about uh, a near-death experience that she had. And um, just to give us a little context, tell us a little bit about um, what you do as an audiologist now and um, what you're passionate about right now. Um, Okay, so I am actually an educational audiologist, um, and what that is, is basically I work with school-age children, um, but the unique, my unique job is that I work for Manitoba First Nations Education Resource Center, and basically I fly into remote communities, usually by fly-in only, um, and uh, Help, I've help, been helping to develop um, an audiology program for these um, students that have never had access to audiology services ever before I was started in 2018. So I'm really passionate about everything, hearing and communication health, and just how everything that that's all attached to everything. So that's one thing that I'm passionate about. And also, too, I am an avid... Um, runner, trail runner. I don't really like to run on the road anymore, but I will do it. But uh, yeah, definitely a trail runner and um, triathlon too and open water swimming. And then my uh, my little girl, pretty passionate about her too. <laughs> awesome. And can just to give us a little bit of context on what, uh, what you're passionate about hearing about, what Take us into what audiology for like what you do. What are some of those things that um, people don't usually have access to that you are able to help them with? Um, basically, ju- just like a, a diagnostic hearing test. So if a child has multiple ear infections, um, then we bridge that gap between um, the school, the nursing station, if they need to see um like a specialist to deal with 
different things that can happen with that. Um, being their advocate in the school. So if they need hearing aids, if that's an option, or um, if we'll, we'll also work with getting like a sound field system into the classroom. So that's like a speaker that's in the classroom. The teacher wears a microphone, basically allowing them to be part of enabling the child to be part of the communication that they would otherwise miss. And so it's, it's a lot of advocating, a lot of um, community outreach, because it takes a whole village, especially when you've never had access to these kind of services before. And um, so, yeah, it's just a lot of just just educating everyone on the important on the importance of communication and hearing health. Yeah. And I thank you for what you do, because uh, I will tell you that my mother's husband actually uh, produced a film. It was a documentary about um, people that were deaf and uh, about the schooling and about uh, some of the statistics were alarming that Mm -hmm. some parents don't even learn how to sign um, or communicate with their children. And it's... uh, it can be a frustrating journey. Let's just say that and the, the documentary really highlights the, the good, the bad and mm-hmm. uh, the challenges that they face. So I just, I just really appreciate what you do and um, to transition a little bit, give us a little bit of background about leading up to this incident that you had in 2005. Um, you were uh, somewhere along the way uh, diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So tell us correct. what that is and tell us about your journey up to that point in 2005 with, um, and dealing with the challenges of that. Um, so basically, um, ulcerative colitis is a chronic illness and, um, there is some, some genetic factor to it. Um, and basically it's an autoimmune disorder. So my um, body will sometimes like attack attack itself. So the good bacteria turns bad and it can lead, there's different severities um, and it's a large intestine. There's, there's Crohn's, which is the, the small intestine. And then there's colitis, uh, which is the large intestine and it's more common. Um, and so then there's certain things that can trigger it. And so you're with it forever and you just, it can flare up, so to speak, at any moment, and there's no reason why. Um, Have you learned what so, some of those triggers were for you and how to stay away from those? Can you can you share any tips with the audience from your learning experiences? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, there's It's a lot of trial and error, and so that's the, very, that's the hard part and the frustrating part. Um, and yes, you can take medication um, and, and you can sort of eat normally and, and not really change anything, or you can find those triggers or find those foods that will, that, I guess that will cause a flare up. Um, and so that's kind of what I did. I, I'm, it's a combination of the two in my, in my sort of world. It's yes, I can do so much, um, on my own with different foods and et cetera. And then there's the medication part. And sometimes you have to realize, which is the hardest part, that your body can only do so much and you sort of need to have a marriage between the two. It can't be one or the other. That just has work, worked for me. Um, and so in doing that, um, like I don't, I haven't had any dairy um, since 2005. <clears throat> and um, red meat, 
Um, it's hard to digest anyways, but I don't have any red meat. And then um, beans, some certain beans really are awful. <laughs> so I stay away from like black beans, lentils, those kinds. And um, any like overly processed food um, can sort of trigger that too. And, and yeah, so back when I got diagnosed, there wasn't a lot of options. But as more and more people are wanting different foods, which helps <laughs> in general, now, like 2021, so 16 years later, there's so many options. Like, it's so much easier to find tasty food um, as opposed to when I first got diagnosed. So that's, that's, it's, it's been so awesome to see that evolution over time with regards to food. And I think it's beautiful that you said that there is, there is a balance. Uh, I'm a chiropractor mm -hmm. and I uh, am called as a duty as part of my job, not only to um, see people and adjust people and uh, give them clinical information, but also the other part is that I always take it a, a, a higher calling that anybody that has the title doctor, doctor means teacher. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm on the side of, I'm all about the lifestyle changes and I'm, you know, rah, rah, you cheer later. I'll be your biggest fan if you make the lifestyle changes. However, what I've noticed is that the passion for that and that only can really set people back sometimes because there is a time for medication. There's also a time where you have to blend, just as you said, it's some trial and error, but it's also like, you know, taking the best clinical judgment of your doctor and then seeing what really works for you. And so have you noticed just throughout this time that you've just become more aware in your body and you really have become more sensitive? Is that part of the journey? Um, absolutely. That's yes. You become so in tune with any sort of changes now because you're so used to your body feeling a certain way. So yeah, I have certain aches and pains. Um, that's just part of it. It's part of a chronic illness. One of the side effects of colitis is arthritis. So yeah, I have arthritis in some of my joints, but I know those pains. And actually in November, I actually got COVID. Okay. Um, and so then like I, you know, when you have it, but you, but you, but knowing my body so well that I knew even before I'm like, yeah, I, I know something's up and I could figure it out just because you know, you're so in tune with how your body works and the, and the things that you're used to feeling. So you just know, you just know without, and that goes for most things like in your body. Like, so if I'm on a long run and it starts feeling off, like you're just so in tune with how things are, are working, that it helps you to know when to push or not to push or that kind of thing. So that's, yeah, having a chronic illness isn't the funnest thing, but I just like to think of it, it's a matter of perspective, right? We can always, I acknowledge the crappiness of it all, haha, <laughs> literally. Um, and then you can use those moments as teachable moments for yourself and then use that to, to your advantage essentially. Mm -hmm. So how old mm -hmm. were you when you were diagnosed? Were you pretty oh young? gosh, 16 years ago. So how old am I? Oh gosh, I'm, hold on. I have to do some math. I think I was, uh, three, 11, five. I was 25. Okay. And if you could, uh, I'm going to put you in a time capsule and you're going to go back to your younger self. And this <laughs> is just for anyone listening. 
if you could give them a couple pieces of you know, just a bullet point advice uh, in starting in that journey, what would you tell your former self? Uh, that's actually a good question because I actually think as I'm getting older, I, I think of those kind of things, like what I would tell my younger self in many situations. Um, I would say to trust myself more and to give myself more grace, not to be so hard on myself to have it all figured out really fast, that it is a long process and one that's constantly changing regardless of anything you can I change I follow my diet most like I'd say 95% I follow everything that I can as much as I can um, and even to this day like I could get a flare-up tomorrow and there's no there's no reason why it just is and so just accepting and understanding that chronic illness is a forever thing then once you embrace that and acknowledge that then I think that that would take that stress off of having to figure it all out. It would have made it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. I'm really intrigued by this trust yourself more because I'll give you an example in my profession. I see a lot of mothers that are uh, pregnant, just newly pregnant. Uh, mm -hmm. They may have had a not so pleasant experience the first time around and mm -hmm. they want to, they want to try something different the second time. And so they, uh, they want to go the more, I'm putting my, my fingers up and codes, the more natural route, but women have been having babies for millennia on their own. Yeah. And, and you were built for that. That's what you're, <laughs> you're very good at it. And so what do you, in my, in my, um, experience, I, I always tell mothers, I want you to know something. I'm going to give you advice and I'm going to take the best care I can of you but I always want you to know that your mommy gut and that intuitive motherly instinct that trumps everything. And I want you to tell me when that's talking because we're going to both sit down and we're going to listen to it. So is that what you kind of mean by if you, you wish you would have trusted yourself more, you wish, did you, were you, do you feel like you were led astray by different opinions and advice or what? Can you give an example of that? Cause I think this is a really important point for people to understand. Yeah, because um, right when, like, I mean, I was 25 when I got diagnosed. And the, the f uh, funny thing and interesting thing is I have a cousin who is, he's six, five years older than me, I think. Um, he had gotten diagnosed with colitis before me. And um, so that's why, I mean, there is a genetic component there. Um, and so... He had all the answers. And when we'd go to family functions, because I would at one point rice, which is supposedly the easiest grain to digest. Um, he I remember it was Easter and he he was and I said, oh, I'm not going to have any rice. I can't have any rice. And he's like at the table in front of the family. He's like, rice is the easiest grain to to digest. You should you shouldn't have any problems. I don't have any problems digesting it. And so then fine ate the rice instead of just telling him to leave me alone <laughs> and then yeah it just it was uncomfortable and it led to like because that, at that point it was right after I got diagnosed so I was still figuring it all out um and it just I just had to just told him like no like I know that this doesn't work 
but he was older and the family was there and whatever anyways um it's just in those moments it's just trusting yourself and knowing that you know your body better than even a physician or even sometimes specialists and so you just need to trust that and not be afraid to stand up for yourself and advocate for yourself especially in those type of situations Absolutely. Listeners, pay mm-hmm. attention to that. That is so important. And uh, this platform is for people to share their healing story, but it's also a resource for you to, to really tune in to what people are saying that have, have been through it. Um, it. It's just so of utmost importance. And then tell me about this. Give yourself grace. Uh, man, this is this could be a billboard, right? <laughs> For this last year, because we just, we're all so hard on ourselves. And, you know, um, what, what is, what is a, a way that you give yourself grace now? What's, what's a practice that you use or. I still struggle with this to this day. I'm not going to lie. It's still a work in progress and I'm pretty sure it always will be. We're always our harshest critics. Um, uh, to give myself grace now, um, I reach out to uh, like family and friends that know me and then can talk, talk me down and tell me just to, you know, just take a moment and, um, or I'll go for a run, <laughs> which some people will wonder, well, how is that giving yourself grace? And I always say, um, to that, um, is that that is, it's the one thing that I can control. I control what I put in. I control what I get out. I go how fast, how slow. I know how long I'm going for. My body is not telling me what to do. No one's telling me what to do. I'm essentially controlling what I need to control. And so maybe that's a control freak, but it just in my world and what works for me, I find that that is, those are my moments where I just feel free from everything. And so that's, there's nothing like being like out on a trail and it's just you and you can hear your feet and the leaves and the birds singing that to me, or even walking, hiking. Um, it's that same feeling of just being in nature and just losing yourself. So yeah, that's to me, that's giving myself grace. I just love runners. <laughs> Those people weren't runners that they were, t- you were talking to earlier. <laughs> I'm a runner and, and we share this in common. We, we both, um, race with, uh, you know, a common series and, um, support, um, human potential. And I just had John on the podcast. And so, yes, I, I, I hear you there. It's, uh, it is a place to, to get lost, whether you're running from or, uh, running to something, you know, it is a, a way to process. And so that's what I want mm-hmm. people to hear is a, is a healthier way to process than some other ways. Right. So take yeah. us up to uh, the time when all this event happened. What what went down before and then take us right into to what happened. Okay. Um, so this was okay. So it was July of 2004. And there I'm, I'm very open with talking about things because when you have colitis, like I'm sorry, poo jokes and everything. They just, you have to laugh. So I was having blood in my stool. And so then um, I was able to, like, I see my physician. We're really like, we have a good rapport. And so um, I saw him 
then it's all the differential diagnosis, right? So they start off with the least invasive. And um, so they thought it was hemorrhoids, then they thought it was polyp. So as time, this is time is going on. I'm keeping a food log to see if there's triggers. Life goes on. So then um, I go back to school in the fall to university. It's still happening. Um, and so then I finally got in to have a colonoscopy, um, I guess the middle of January of 2005. And then, um, so then I had that and then I was getting the results a couple weeks later, I had the appointment. And so I was going to be seeing the visit, like my doc on the Wednesday. So the Sunday before the Wednesday, this was end of January. Now um, I go, I had volunteered at this race um, bike race in the winters. It was called the ice bike. And so I was volunteering at the, there all day. Everything was fine. It was a sunny day. Like there was nothing. I wasn't feeling sick. I wasn't feeling anything. Um, and so then I got home and um, then I go to the washroom and it was like all blood. Mm. And so then I was like, okay, um, this could have been just a one-time thing or whatever. And then I remember um, the physician saying, if things are going wrong, he was on holidays, but I could just go to this hospital called the Victoria hospital and there would be someone there, someone like a specialist. So whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, okay, so this, I don't want to freak out. So then um, I went to the washroom. This is about half an hour later. And it was the same thing, like all blood. And so then um, I was living not at home. Like, so I was living in an apartment. So then I called my mom and my mom's never one to like freak out. She'll like think that I'm the crazy person. So, so I'm like, oh, I'm like losing all this blood. And um, she's like, oh, just, you'll be okay type thing. I'm like, okay. And so then like, once again, like 45 minutes later happened again. And so then I was saying to my boyfriend at the time, I'm like, um, I think we should go to the Victoria hospital. Cause like, this is like too much, like this is yeah. too much fun. So then um, we drove, it was about a 15 minute drive. We go to, we get into emerge and like, it's, so you go in and then you have to like triage, but then, so I had to wait well, they called me up to before they could figure out where I'd fit in the whole system. And so as like I'm waiting, I'm going to the washroom, like every like whatever and losing blood, losing blood. Finally, get to the nurse, say that I'm losing blood. Um, and then I'm so then she's like, puts a bracelet on and I'm, so then I'm waiting some more. So then I was going to the washroom. And I remember this. I come out of the washroom and I'm like, I don't I remember saying I don't feel well. I remember like passing out and then my boyfriend like grabbed like this wheelchair he like went through those doors that say do not enter he like ran through there to like get a physician or something now these days you'd be arrested for doing that but 15 16 years ago you could so he like ran through they grabbed me um and threw me onto like a bed and then like they're like um trying to get the ivs in and like they had to put in like the like my, you can still see scars. Like my tops of my wrists are still sore and it's been 16 years. So they had to like shove those big Horkin IVs in. And then, um, so then I don't, I, I just remember feeling really light and like airy. And then I remember like looking over and then like my grandma was there 
she had passed away like the May of 2004. And I remember just like saying that, oh, I'm just so tired. I just want to like come see you. And then she's like, no, no, it's not your time yet. You just need to stay here. Okay. But then, then whatever, then they get the IV in and everything. And then everything comes down. Um, then like get into like a room, the specialist comes in like the next day, not even though I was in the hallway, um, comes the next day and says, Oh, Oh, you have colitis. And I was going to be seeing him on the Wednesday. I'm like, you couldn't have like given me some sort of, you know, medication beforehand, before whatever. I ended up losing so much blood. I didn't need a transfusion though. Like to get a transfusion, your blood, your hemoglobin needs to be like 60. I was 62. So they didn't give me a transfusion. And then, so then I don't, I didn't, at that point, I didn't really remember my grandma coming to me like that. I remember that, remembered that later. But so, so then, did you actually were, pass out and were unconscious when you fell down in the hall because I think of the blood so. loss? Okay. Yeah. Like, you I don't was really remember there, being with it. Not there. Yeah. Okay. Did you and feel then, like you had, um, like, like uh, sometimes people describe as like being out of their body? Did you have that experience? Yeah. Or did like, you... Yeah. It was like all light and just like relaxed all at the same. Like, you know, right before you're about to fall asleep, mm. you have that, and you can remember you have that, like, Oh, I'm so comfortable. I'm so relaxed type feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it feels like. That's what it, that's what it reminds me of when I still get when I before I fall asleep even to this day. It reminds me of that moment. Um, what do you remember about seeing about seeing your grandma? Do, do you remember oh, if she was wearing something that you remember, or you see her face? She was just wearing. Yeah, no, she was there. She was just wearing her normal clothes, like just my grandma. Um, and yeah, like she was just her. <laughs> and Was she a significant person in your life yes for you okay. oh yes mm-hmm. absolutely um and we no wait and so okay fast forward to when she passed away i was the last person that sh- that that talked to her in the hospital room before she did pass away and what she said to me before she passed away which i now have tattooed on my wrist um is um everything will be okay and so um, that's also a mantra in my life because everything usually will be okay. But um, but yeah, so then I didn't really re- I didn't really remember the whole um, grandma situation until the next day. My friends were visiting me in Canada. We have <laughs> we have the hallway medicine anyway. So I'm in the hallway and my friends are visiting me, and it was right by where the nurses would come in and out. And this one nurse stopped by, and she's like, "How are you?" And I'm like fine and she's like don't you remember and then I, re- I said remember what she's like um you, you almost died last night and I was like oh no and so then I just yeah she was there mind blown she was she, there yeah, she on was call. one of the nurses that was yeah okay and so did then she you give you any yeah, insight to what had happened no just other than that and then she just went into her like the lounge but yeah I just remember her saying that and then I was just like because you don't realize how bad something is until you're out of it right or someone tells you um and uh yeah so I didn't realize that it was that significant until she had said she told me that and so and then as I'm thinking like you know you start remembering more and then that's when I remembered that my grandma had come when I was like on the in the bed in the emergency area so yeah life-changing moment i'd have to say yeah (laughs) what is your 
what are your thoughts on um you've I had a lot of time to think about this what are your thoughts on um I guess what were your thoughts beforehand on a, a near death experience or anything like that did you believe in it do you have a faith or anything that you rely on that was uh directing what you thought about that kind of thing before it even happened to you um like I'm spiritual mm-hmm. um like I I'm baptized Catholic. I went to Catholic school until I was in grade seven. Um, and then I, and then I started going to like a non-denominational Christian church. Um, I've done a lot of reading cause I find religion interesting. So I've, I took a world religions class in university. Um, I took a Buddhism class. And so I do believe in a higher, um, being, However, that looks is different for everyone, different, but I just, there's a, someone out there that sort of has our backs. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot I didn't of people, really think about it too much. A lot of people do say that they have this sense of they can't really see anything or put their finger on it, but they feel this over, overwhelming sense of love or security or yeah. peace. It, did you have any of these experiences or was there anything else around that time that you experienced other than just kind of like the out of body light feeling and then seeing your grandmother? Yeah, no, I just remember being happy to see her and then um, and just feeling like the love from her. But other than that, like nothing too out of the ordinary that I would cause me to remember anything more than just what I was feeling from her, if that makes sense. How long do you think yeah. it lasts? What lasts? The, that moment? That moment. How long do you think it lasted for? What, just in your mind? I think it lasted a long time, but reality, probably not. (laughs) It was probably like a fraction of a second, but it felt probably, it felt like a long time. And then, so we're on in the next day, the doctor, uh, I'll just call him Mr. Obvious, tell Call, comes in and tells you what you already know. Um, yeah. What happened from there? Because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff to unpack here. But what uh, what did you find out around the incident and how close you were to? I mean, obviously you lost almost enough blood to get a transfusion, so it's pr- quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. What did they advise you to do next, or how were you in the hospital for a little while? What happened? I was in the hospital for um, I think only three days. Um, and then I saw, I, they give you a specialist and then I was in close contact with my physician. Not a lot of like, aside from my own research, they don't really, you see the specialist and blood work, my, like my doc is on it. Like he's still my doc to this day. Um, and so the main thing was getting my, um, hemoglobin up and the ferritin, the iron up. Um, and that took over five years to get it back because I also, at the time I raced bicycles, like tour de France style. So my hemoglobin was higher than most. And so that's probably only why I was in the hospital for three days is because I was active beforehand. Um, 
but no, but so then I was getting iron shots. Those are very painful um, because I couldn't take iron pills because it's too hard on the stomach. So that's a catch 22. I even struggle with low iron to this day. I actually have this really good natural liquid. It tastes vile. Oh, it's like so gross. It's like, oh, but it works um, because it's not hard on the stomach mm. like the pills are. Sure. Um, but anyway, so then it basically is trial and error, keeping a food log, following, like tracking. It takes time and effort and it's frustrating. But then once you do that, you have it. And I found that that hasn't changed in 16 years. Um, it's been the same. So once you know them, they are the constant triggers. And yeah, I'd like to, and I know like the dairy is a big one. Like I know when there's even modified milk ingredients, whey is dairy. Um, and it's all about labeling. So if it says contains like milk, stay away from it. But if it says may contain milk, may contain is fine because it's made in the same plant. So they have to put it on. So there's the wording there. Um, you become an expert at reading labels. Um, this is a funny story. I really, really, really wanted cookies one day. This was you know, six months after I was diagnosed. And so I went down the cookie aisle at the grocery store. Every single cookie had dairy except Oreos. Oh. Oreos do not contain dairy. Um, and they're the greatest cookie ever because <laughs> they don't have dairy and there's so many flavors now. So Lady Gaga. It's like, yeah, there's, and they're really, they're one? really, really good. <laughs> no, I've heard of it. Yes. Heard of it, but never tried it. Cause I don't, it's not available in Canada. I see. We'll have to have John get some of those for the next race. When you come across yeah. the border again. <laughs> yeah. But no Special request. Yeah. We need all the Oreos. Um, and so, yeah, and it's just basically, um, it's normalizing the, like the illness, it's making it your normal, you own it, you can't hide from it, there's no point. And so I think it reached a point where I just decided, like, I'm like, this is part of everything and I can't run from it, because then where is that going to leave me? <clears throat> so you just you know, accept it and use it to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really big point. You did say that that earlier is that, um, when I'm just going to speak for the United States, because I I don't know as much about Canada, but I, I know that our medical system is neither set up for, uh, anything really other than emergency care or very, very mm -hmm. specialized care. Um, and so, it makes it difficult on the consumer or the person who is not feeling well with a chronic disease to try to sift through in enough information to find the practitioner that's right for them, to find the mix of alternative and mainstream for them. And it can be a really daunting process. Uh, I'm steeped in this every yes. day, so I help people yes. walk through it and I'm grateful to be able to do it. But you said something that intrigued me. You said something about just uh, embracing it. And so I know that there's some people going to be listening out here. And I actually have a dear friend who has Crohn's disease and he's uh, been through a lot 
and uh, I've known him a lot of my life and I can't help but cultivate compassion for from knowing him because I know of his struggles and the ups and downs. And so it helps me um, embrace it as well and say, you know, I would love to just be able to do something and get rid of this for you. But um, tell us more about like that process of like embracing it so you can actually use it to your advantage. Like I, I know that there's always a high point to every low point. So tell us about what that was like for you, the, just the embracing. Um, I mean, it took time. Um, but like when I use the word embracing it, it's, you just reach a point where, um, you're not afraid to talk about it. You're not afraid to, you know, just be open and candid and, you know, it becomes when you're in a flare up, like it becomes commonplace. I need to carry around, you know, a couple of extra changes of clothes in my car because there may be a time where I can't make it to the washroom in time. And it's, there's nothing more like humbling than not making it to the washroom on time. And so, um, that, that can be frustrating and it can cause you to reach some really, really low points. Not saying that I, you know, it wasn't always butterflies and rainbows. Um, but it's just, knowing and your your tight core group of friends and family that are around you they they get it and they support you and that's all they want to do is do that so then not being afraid to reach out um to people when you're having like a crappy time um or just not even yeah just mostly you just want someone to listen so the best thing that someone can do is um is just not try to fix things because we as humans, we always want to fix. But sometimes the fixing is just listening without offering an opinion. So that's embracing it too. Um, but the main thing is, is just, just knowing that this is it. And I can either just choose to just be like sitting on the sidelines or I can just do what I can and see how far I can go and, see where it goes and it's it's not going to be pretty and it's going to be messy hence the word hence team hot mess mm -hmm. um then then you just know that as long as you're trying then that's all that matters and yeah. that's yeah and then what i'm hearing too is there's a, a place of like vulnerability that you have to get in and that's mm -hmm. not easy for anyone. And there's also this like sense of, you know, I've heard you say a couple of times, like you reach out to people that you're really close to. So there's a sense of like connectedness, like this person gets me, you know, and it, may, it might not be a doctor or, or somebody that, you know, could offer uh, like oh, uh, a solution, but just an ear. And then mm -hmm. the other one that I want to dig into a little bit, because a lot of people don't think of this. And I, I ask questions about this on my intake form is how is this um, affecting your quality of life? Because I know that psychology around, you know, I'm an adult. I should be able to make it to the bathroom yet. I can't <laughs> sometimes. Mm -hmm. So tell us about um, the challenge there of overcoming like the acceptance around that, because I imagine that a lot of people that um, deal with the Crohn's and ulcerative colitis have something around this issue. And I, I mean, could you offer any, any uh, <laughs> advice around that or? 
Yeah. Um, Comfort. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is. Everyone is at different stages. And um, some people choose to, when they're in a flare up, to like not go out. They'll just stay home because you know where the washroom is. It reduces the risk of embarrassment or whatever. And, and that works for most people. Um, I still try to keep like everything status quo as much as I can. Yeah, it's going to be modified. It's going to look different. Um, but I'm still going to not settle, if that makes sense, like with settle for myself. Um, so then I'll still, like if Maddie has dance or gym, Maddie, Madeline's my daughter. Um, I'll still take her, even though I'll be in a lot of pain, you know that, you know, you're going to be in pain. So you sort of just, this is what I need to do. Um, and then I still take her to, it'd be easy to call up my mom or dad and be like, oh, you know, can you take Maddie to dance or whatever? Um, or we just won't go this day. But once you allow yourself that once, then it becomes easier the next time. And, and yeah, there has to be that balance of, I don't want to hurt myself even more, but there's always room to kind of push that envelope and your body will tell you, um, if you've pushed it too far. And so I get flack from everyone because I do too much when I'm in a flare up or when I'm not in a flare up. So I just, <laughs> it's, I'm not gonna, I just don't want, cause I don't want the disease to own me. Right. That's what it comes down to. I don't want it to dictate if I'm going to stay home from work or if I'm going to stay home from this X, I want it to be on my terms. I don't want to like waste a sick day because I have to lay in bed because I am having a flare up. I want to use it for like a real sickness because the colitis thing, you're going to have it. I'm going to have it forever. So I just don't want it. I'm like, I, I just want to be like, I just tell my body, I'm like, I'll show you. And that's kind of what I do with most things. Well, you say that I can't. So here we go. <laughs> I'm going to show you. Yeah. And this theme comes through over and over. It tells me the tenacity of the human spirit, the boldness of our willingness to get up when we feel knocked down. I had a gentleman on this podcast that was told he'd never walk again and that he had a spinal cord injury. And that was it. And he was 16 years old. And, and his naive Vite at that point said, yeah, right. I'm going to walk out of this place. And he did. Yeah. And it was a long journey. But, um, you know, he is a doctor today and he's a better doctor for it. And there was always, you know, that, that piercing light through the darkness that his spirit just wouldn't give up. So uh, I can say that on this podcast is a huge theme. And I, I really appreciate the um the perspective from all different kinds of people, because it seems to be something that comes through over and over again. Back to this quality of life thing. Mm -hmm. You have a daughter. Uh, I have my niece is Maddie. So do you call her Maddie or Madeline? Um, depending on the day. Depending on the day, <laughs> if she's in trouble or not. <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, can I just call her Maddie? Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, has this, uh, you know, having this condition, has it changed your perspective on how you raise your daughter and the type of like nutritional choices you have for her, um, knowing that there could be some genetic predisposition there? Has it changed you as a mom? Um, 
this could be a blessing and a curse for Maddie. Um, it. Uh, um, so the, the the nutritional choices. I mean, we're pretty healthy. She doesn't really drink dairy. Like she'll have dairy in the cereal. She actually prefers non-dairy ice cream sometimes. She's when she was younger, she's more adventurous in trying food, different foods. Now she's nine, so you're kind of at that like tweeny stage where you're just trying to annoy your parents. Um, but, and so she's she'll, she'll try things. Um, and so yeah, that as far as um, that stuff goes, she's more adventurous in her palate. Um, but then at the same time, um, for like. I'm so used to just getting on with it and like something's hurting, I'll just, you know, suck it up type deal. So maybe I'm not as sympathetic when she um, is maybe more sensitive in this type of situation. If she's feeling like a little bit sick um, or she like stubs her toe when I'm like, well, this is, you just stubbed your toe. Like, what's the big deal? But to a, you know, a little child, that is a big deal. But I just, I'm so used to just, you know, pushing through. And so I just need to be respectful of her feelings as a little human and not put my feelings onto her. And so then that's, that's the learning game. That's where I struggle as, as, as a parent. And so I need to be more mindful of that. Um, because yeah, they're a little more sensitive than adults. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Do you find yourself, um, worrying that, she may experience some of the things you do or do you you try to what have you how have you learned to communicate that so you let her know that hey this doesn't hold me down i live my life is there any dialogue around that so you can just let her know that she can you know go just go forward in confidence that you know just go live her life oh absolutely um in like most things um she uh, she yeah she's not very like shy to try new things and um a typical example was this past summer um she was she's always loved horses and uh, i respect horses enough not to ride them um, but she really 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 wanted to go horseback riding and so and you have to be like eight or nine or eight anyway so she eight she was eight last summer and so we took her horseback riding and she got on the horse it's one thing to like horses and it's another thing to actually be on a horse um, so then to not, and we're not talking about a pony. We're talking about a full size horse. Anyway, she, um, <laughs> I thought she was going to like, not, she got on it and she looked like she was scared. The fear just washed over her. And I thought she was going to get off the horse and just be like, peace out. Um, but no, she, she sucked it up and she's like, she stayed on and she did it and she faced her fear that she didn't know she even had until she was on it. And, um, and then she did the whole trail ride and she was happier for it. And so, I mean, she could have easily just not done it, but she, she, she totally took the, the, you know, the harder way, which I guess she's just seen me over the years, just pushing through and that sort of subconsciously got onto her which is, it's cool to see when kids pull that stuff out that they really do watch. They really do watch us adults. They're little sponges. That's for sure. Oh, I don't have are. any kids yet, mm -hmm. but I take care of a lot of kids and 
Mm-hmm. They know. You got to watch yourself. They do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so there's this theme of you, uh, you know, kind of pushing through, but how do you take care of you? Like what does recovery look like? And when, you know, what's your work around that? Maybe you'll learn something about yourself today. <laughs> um, so my, my recovery, well, I should be, <laughs> I, I sh- so you're talking about like when I'm working out or like with colitis, just uh, any of it. Like in what, general, what does, any you, what does you general. relaxing look like? Um, I know that that's probably tough for you to do. Yeah. yeah I, okay. um, when I sleep, I'm, I'm relaxing. Um, I read and then, um, like I will get, it's is awful, but I spend so much time figuring things out for work and figuring things out for like, balancing life and like dealing with like all this, like for lack of a better word, adult stuff that sometimes you just want to like have something like mind numbing where you don't have to think. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so Netflix is great for that. So I just like basically binge watch all of like Superstore when I have time that show Superstore. It's hilarious, by the way. Never heard Um, of it. Highly recommend it. It's so funny. Oh my gosh. It's just about these people that work in retail and (laughs) it's, it's really funny. Um, so I just, I will just, it's mind numbing and I don't need to think or process anything. And so then I will do things like that. Um, yeah. Dance parties sometimes when my hips aren't so tight, but yeah. And then we, like, I like to cook, so I'll cook dinner. Um, yeah, just things, just not that don't require a lot of moving. (laughs) Sure. I want to skip back to um, your relationship with your grandmother. What was the um, what was the first thing that comes to mind to you that you carry on in your life to honor your grandmother? There's some kind of uh, you know saying or practice that uh, she did that she passed on to you, or what was your what's your first gut feeling about that? Um. The, yeah, one of the things is um, just always, like, knowing that everything will be okay. Because that's something that she always instilled in us growing up. And then just um, laughing first. Just, like, laughing. Um, I just, I can still hear her laugh. And the, the funny thing is my mom will laugh, I think, a couple months ago. I was talking to my mom on the phone and that's my, that was my mom's mom, my grandma. And um, my mom laughed and I was like, she sounded exactly like my grandma. I was just like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, just that, it just that hearty laugh. And I hear it in Madeline too. Like she has the, the whole body laugh where she, her whole being and she I do this apparently too you laugh so hard that you get the kicks and you start kicking your feet um it's just yeah it's that's basically the laughing yeah when you think about uh why her or why that happened have you thought about the meaning of that comes in conclusion of her coming back mm-hmm. um because we we all miss her and 
I know that I was in a place just figuring out like where I wanted to go in the future with as far as like school and, and work and what I wanted to do with my life. I was like, that was a time when I was really like floundering or struggling to figure things out. I mean, who knows what the, who has their life figured out at 25. Um, but, um, but yeah. And so I think that that, now that I think of it, that was probably why just to sort of that sense of grounding. Like, so you always get things when, when you need them the most, you may not know why you get them or why things happen a certain way, but there's always a reason usually when you think about it. So yeah, that's probably why. Sure. And so mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is that there was this place where a part of you was kind of stuck or needed some guidance. And she, that was like reassurance mm-hmm. for you. Is that, is that mm-hmm. fair to say? Yeah. And did that's you, when you shared that with the rest of the family, what was, what were their reactions? Like, were they, Oh, I didn't, I haven't told, I've only told, um, I don't even think I've told my brothers. I've just told just some, some friends, some really close friends. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't shared that with my family. Oh, okay. I just, it's sort of my, my moment, like my moment with her and maybe that's selfish, but, um, that's just something that I don't, didn't feel the need to, to share. They would be supportive they wouldn't think that I was you know weird or anything like that they would be cool with it it's just I just don't want to I don't know it's just my my moment with her yeah that's special yeah acknowledge that Mm -hmm. um another thing I heard you say earlier is like there came a point where um you just had to you just like had to deal with it and so, I mean, what that tells me is that sometimes when people, when I'm taking care of people, there, there is a time where they go, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. Like I'm doing well and like, I'm going to take responsibility for this. And so there's just been this kind of, like, kind of call to self-responsibility. How important is that piece in um, dealing with a chronic illness? It's huge because <laughs> no one can do it for you. Um, no one absolutely can do it for you. And like my choice was to be on as little medication as possible. And because I didn't want that, they don't know the long-term effects for being on, um, the medications that I'm supposed to be taking. They don't know the long-term effects. They don't know if it will prevent colon cancer because I'm at risk for colon cancer, if it will or won't. There's just too many unknowns as far as I was concerned. And so um, that's why I opted to change my diet. And thankfully, for the most part, that works. Um, But sometimes I want to get into a flare up. Like I'll wait and wait and wait until it gets really bad, which depending on who you talk to may not be the smartest because usually – I can catch it. I can feel it because it's been so long. I will do like um, probiotics, which really help because that's the good bacteria in the gut. And so sort of replenishing that, I'll try to kickstart that. Um, kombucha actually is also another great um, beverage. It's so good because um, all the natural goodness in there. So I'll do that. 
that can usually help. And then sometimes, no matter what you do, then you know that, okay, I have to get in to see my doc, which I, I know what they prescribe. So I can basically just refill the medication. And then I know how many I have to take to bring it back down to hopefully a remission. And then this past time, it didn't, all my like knowledge didn't help. And then I had to go on um, prednisone, which is the the wonder steroid, but it is the worst steroid. Um, and then that usually is this, like the doc will prescribe the smallest dose over the shortest time that will help. And then that usually resets everything. So, but that's a last resort. Yeah. Keep the meds last resort. Yeah. I agree. It's a good choice. Mm -hmm. Um, to wrap up, uh, tell us a little bit about, um, some highlights that are happening today, um, in your life. And, um, then I'll ask you one more question before we leave. Where, where are some of the highlights? Hi oh. yep. Well, it's not minus 40. So that's a highlight. All right. <laughs> I get to do a four hour run tomorrow and it's only going to be like minus 10 Celsius. Um, so that's huge. Um, anything new going on with work, new projects? Or yeah, anything? we, we, um, next week we have, um, it's our clinical regionals. And so basically, um, usually everyone flies down from up North and we present in person. It's like a conference, but because of COVID, um, we have to do it all virtually. And so we get to do three presentations, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. This is the first time that they've given audiology, like full afternoon slots, um, so we get to do that. And one day is for educational assistance. One day is just for school teachers. And then the third day, um, this is a whole new for this year, um, is for parents. So we're hoping that we get some parents that signed up. <laughs> um, it's, it's most parents who usually sign up for like occupational therapy or physiotherapy stuff, but we're hoping we'll get some parents and then we get to spend virtually the afternoon teaching them about their children and hearing loss and all that kind of stuff. So that's huge. Um, yeah. Just a learning a new way of um, doing audiology remotely when we can't travel anywhere because 90% of our job is traveling. And then you enjoy that part in, yes. in the normal world. Do you enjoy the travel? Yes. Yeah. Because you seem like you're go, go, to... go. And you like to change the scenery. Oh, but no, but all, oh, I mean, I get to, I've flown in helicopters. I've gone in hovercrafts. I've gone on winter roads. Um, I get Bannock like made for me. Um, it's, yeah, it's just an amazing experience to go into a remote community where you're the minority and just learn the culture and just see things from a whole different perspective. And Northern Manitoba is beautiful. Like when we fly in in, in like the spring, like the water is so blue and the trees are all green and it's like all untouched, like untouched. It's like, I can't even describe to you like how amazing it, it is. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. What's something that you've learned from being a minority in a different culture? Talk to the change of perspective. What's that mm -hmm. taught you about the world? 
um, that we need to not judge. We need to keep an open mind. And if someone doesn't agree with us, we don't need to argue. We need to listen and see it from another point of view because when we're learning it, seeing it from another point of view, it'll maybe change our point of view and then we're able to come to a better solution. And that basically like doesn't matter people's politics. As long as we're doing right by each other, then who cares, right? We need to work alongside each other, not in front or behind. And that's that's like that's just age old knowledge from elders is that we just need to work alongside one another. And so that's another thing that I'm blessed with is that we get a lot of, we had to spend a lot of time with the elders and learning um, about First Nations Indigenous culture. And it's just, it's so simple and it's just basically respect. That's all anyone wants. So yeah. That's and to a, listen more than we speak. <laughs> two two mm-hmm. lessons that we all know that's kindergarten knowledge almost, but always good yep. to be reminded and to have that experience of being around people that, that actually live that, you know, mm-hmm. I want to thank you and acknowledge you for being on the life live podcast today. Um, this has been a really fruitful conversation. I can't wait until you come to America and run with us. <laughs> I know someday. as soon as the borders are open, as soon as the borders <laughs> are open, you're, you're, you're here in Colorado running through the mountains with us. Um, but I really appreciate your, your open-mindedness to this conversation. I know that you're going to help, uh, someone out there that needs to hear this conversation, whether it was something, whether they're dealing with some triggers and they're trying to also be in that, that place of uh, being vulnerable and reaching out and knowing they're not alone is just half the battle sometimes. So I really appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. Any last words for Thank us? You. Always be a rainbow in a sea of black and white. I love it. <laughs> Great. Well, have a nice evening and we'll talk to you another time. And there we grow again, Life Alive Tribe. I'm so grateful you stopped by to journey into someone else's life so you can heal, grow, and find your flow into a life that has meaning. No matter where you are right now, it's time to pick your chin up, roll your shoulders back, and say, I choose to live a life totally alive. What's up, Life Alive Tribe? This is Doc Schrock. This podcast is brought to you by Life Alive Chiropractic. Nothing heard in this podcast should be substituted for the advice and or clinical judgment of your doctor. If you are local on the front range of Colorado, we are available here as a health resource or for consultation. You may reach us at Cairo chiro.com www.lifealivechiro.com and remember tribe we are here for you